Hello, and welcome to the Amber Live interviews. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live. We want to remind you to subscribe to us both here and at youtube.com slash amberlive. You don't want to miss a moment of Amber LeMay, the Larry King of drag queens. There is so much more to Amber Live than just the amazing interviews that drag queen Amber LeMay does each week. We have hundreds of interviews and comedy sketches online already, and you can watch them all on YouTube. But in the meantime, you can listen to the amazing interviews right here. Now enjoy this episode of the Amber Live Interviews. Well, we told you what was coming up, so now let's do it. Let's bring in Maureen Van Zandt. Maureen, come on in. Hello. Hello, Maureen. It is such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining Amber Live. Now, a lot of people are going to see you and they'll go, I know her. She was on The Sopranos. And that may be all that they know about you. But you've had a very interesting history in the entertainment performance field. Tell me about that. It's just a stranger. Well, they might not recognize me because my hair is not as big as it, <laughs> as it was there. But, oh, my God. Um, I, I started out uh, as a little ballet girl, a little ballerina, um, age five, started doing that. Uh, ended up uh, on Broadway in, in Gypsy when I was quite Okay, but let's just talk about, let's back up to, bra to ballet. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, mostly. So and ballet, as a, as a young young girl, how, how did your, were your parents interested in ballet? Is that something you decided you wanted to do? Not at all. They were the least stage parents that you would ever have met in your life. I just went because one of my friends was going to take some dance lessons and I thought I'll go with her and she quit. I stayed and, uh, and, and I loved it. And, um, and then my grandfather took me to see West Side Story on Broadway when I was a little, little girl. And I thought, oh, I want to do, you know, I saw the sharks and I'm like, I want to do that. And then I saw Peter Rivera. I'm like, no, I want to do that. And, um, uh, so oh, I, I how excited. but I did become friends with her, which is even better. Um, oh. uh, so yeah, she seeing that really inspired me. How exciting! So you went from ballet. Do you remember your first recital or whatever a performance as a ballet dancer? I'm sure it was in the Nutcracker or one of one of those things, and I was a little snowflake or something like that. I don't really remember it, but there there were a lot of them, and uh, it was. Um, it, it was very, very challenging because I did most of the ballet girls wanted to just only do that. But I wanted to have a whole other life. And I was a very rock and roll girl when I got into my teens. So it was kind of hard balancing the two things. But but I wanted to do it because I didn't want to miss out on anything. All right. You mentioned Gypsy. How old were you when you auditioned for Gypsy? Tell me about that. I was, I guess, about eight or nine. And um, I was brought in as a replacement. I was not original cast or anything, but... But I did, I was baby June and uh, got to <laughs> tap dance and probably the only time in my life that I could sing because- Who it was, was Mama Rose? Who was Mama Rose? Who do you think? Ethel? Oh my God, you worked with Ethel Merman. <laughs> and I, I thought she was this big giant person. She was actually this little teeny woman, but she was so big and, and you know, terrifying in a way. Uh, yeah, it was it was fun. And again, I don't have that many clear memories about it, but but I remember that I was very, very much in awe. How many years were you in Gypsy? Oh, very, very, very short time. Very yeah. short time. I was brought in as a replacement and I did it for a little bit. I wasn't really a singer. I didn't, you know, I didn't think 
that Broadway was going to end up being my thing. So I thought I'll either act or, or dance, but I, I knew I couldn't be the triple threat that they, that they require. Okay. What came after Gypsy? Um, let's see. After that, I just, I guess, continued my, my, my ballet studies and, and just was sort of a regular girl. And then when I was about 18, I ended up in hair on, on Broadway. Again, not original cast, but one of the tribe members. Again, not a singer, so I was a dancer and kind of hippie. Naked? Did you get naked? Up. Well, yeah. Yeah, every, everybody did kind of. So. How was <laughs> yeah. that? How was that? Your first rehearsal? or I mean, well, the other, obviously you said you, you were brought in, so the other people were used to it. Yeah, take them off. Yeah, but, and I mean, I, I think when you're that age nothing and, and you're in good shape and you're and you're kind of a hippie anyway you don't care everybody else is doing it i would never have done it on my own you know if someone said go on stage naked by yourself no way but it was kind of dark you know it was not really just standing out there it was it was part of the show so i thought well that's okay <laughs> that's okay yeah <laughs> i don't think my father thought that but it it was um it, it was okay it just i i think at that time it was the late 60s everybody was very free spirited and thought it was a cool thing to do. So uh, now I couldn't do it and wouldn't do it. But <laughs> <laughs> I saw a great picture the other day of of girl teenage girls in this like in 1963 with their bouffant hair and everything, oh, yeah. and and then in '67, you know, just like four years later, and they were all hippie girls, you know, just exactly. And that's that that's what I was because every year in the '60s the style was different, and that's what was so cool about it, really. You know, that that was like a, a great costume party. You know, every every year you go, OK, now I'm going to wear the fringy things. Now I'm going to wear the glitter glam things. Now I'm going to wear my cute little mod mini dress. So it, it was fun. It was, it was a great time to grow up, I think. Now, during that time in hair, did you meet anyone um, who eventually became a big star like you? Well, <laughs> um, well, at the time, I think Melba Moore was in hair. I mean, there were people that would come to see the show that, that were celebrities, but I was really into hanging out with rock and roll people. So I used to go around the corner and hang out at a club called Steve Paul's Scene. And that was, you know, the hangout of Jimi Hendrix and, you know, Janis Joplin and all this, you know, anybody who came to town to do a rock show and was a big rock star would end up hanging out there. So that's where I, I got to meet a lot of those people. And, you know, some I, I still know and talk to the ones that have still, you know, have survived it. Yeah. <laughs> ones that are as ancient as I am. Yeah. There's still a few of us around. <laughs> after hair, what came in after hair? Um, then I joined a ballet company, I danced with the New Jersey ballet and I danced with American ballet theater. So, so I did that. I didn't, didn't do any acting. But I continued to study acting because I thought it would help me with dance performances. So, so I did that. I did Phantom of the Opera for a very short time. Again, my ballet teacher was a ballet mistress, brought me in when people got injured. So I didn't do it all the time. So it was kind of a little part-time gig. So really, all, all the rest of that time, I, I, I danced. I, um, I started studying acting seriously again. And then when I stopped dancing, I, I formed a theater company. And I started producing plays and acting in plays. And, and, and that's kind of what I've done, you know, and I, I, I've taught ballet. I currently teach acting. So um, who did you take your acting lessons from? 
I studied with Herbert Berghoff. I studied with Stella Adler. Oh, you couldn't find anybody good, huh? Yeah, no, I, I just went to the rejects. You know, uh, I mean, it's just that it was the timing. You know, those were the people that were teaching then. And, you know, I don't think there's been the equivalent since. I mean, I'm, I'm not really going to acting classes, but those were the, the legends. And, and I was lucky. You know, I, I was in I, I studied with a, a number of different teachers, uh, Michael Beckett, Sam Groom, Elizabeth Wilson. Um, yeah. And, and it was it was interesting because I, you know, I got different things from all of them. And it was just, it was great to watch them because some of them were just performers in there. I mean, Stella Adler would come into, into the room, like the biggest star on earth. So no one could ever compare to her, but, but I was, I was lucky. I, I love how you just said, yep. I was in hair. Yeah. I was in gypsy with Ethel. <laughs> that is, that is so oh, many years ago. Yes. Yes. All right. So let's, let's zoom up into the, um, well, what, what year was The Sopranos? What year did that start? It's. I think they shot the first episode in 1999, but I didn't come yeah. on the show until the second season. So it was right. probably about, about 2000, I guess, the next year. And so, how did you get that part? Well, my husband plays Silvio Dante on the show, uh -huh. and um, he had a wife in the first season, and they didn't want to continue with that actress she really didn't have that much to do so I don't think that she was very visible and I was at the rap party for the first season and and the casting person George Ann Walken came up to me and said would you like to come and audition to play his wife and I was like no way you know <laughs> that's too weird and 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 then I, I kind of thought about it and I talked to some of my friends they said you're so stupid it's like the you know the biggest show on tv you have to you have to do this and I thought okay I'm not going to get it anyway because they're very strict on the Sopranos you you really had to audition they wouldn't just say oh yeah you know you're Stephen's wife so we're going to give you the part right so I went in and I auditioned. There were like, you know, a hundred women in the hallway and they were all very Italian looking. I'm like, I'm definitely not getting this. So I, I kind of went in and I had fun. And then they called me the next day and said it was down to four people. And I was one of them. And I go in there and, and there's a very famous soap opera star there. And I'm like, oh, I'm definitely not getting it. So again, I, you know, normally I'd be totally freaked out and nervous about an audition, but I, I kind of, I just didn't think that I, I would be in the running. So I, I, you know, I, I had to go up in front of the entire cast and crew of, of not the cast, but the crew of the show. And it was very daunting for me. You know, it was a very strange experience and, um, you know, did a scene and, and then I got the part and I, no one was more shocked than I was. And who did you model your character after? Well, I grew up in, in Newark, New Jersey, and I grew up among those people who are the type of people who are on, on Sopranos. So I had a lot of models, you know, you know my aunts, my, my mother, my sister. So I, I, I kind of, I kind of played my sister a little bit. Does she know that? I, I think I might've told her, you know, or if she watched it, I think she would figure it out. You know, I think a lot of my language, my, the way I spoke and the way, the, well, the clothing, I used to give it to her after we finished for the season because it would give us our wardrobe. And I say, here, I got a whole ton of clothing for you that I'm not going to wear. And she'd be like, oh, this is fantastic. So, so yeah. Had you done TV before The Sopranos? No. Wow. Yeah. That, and my first scene was with Edie Falco and it was a big, long scene, which of course, you know, got cut to death as everything does on TV. But I'm thinking like, what the hell? I'm on set. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? And I said to Edie, this is, you know, this is my first TV job. And she said, nobody has to know. And, and, um, and she was great. And, you know, we did the scene and, and, um, 
baptism by fire. And it was okay. I was always nervous. So it was very strange to me because I had always been on stage. So to be in a room with cameras and lights and people all around, it was really difficult for me. So what did your husband, did, what encouragement did he give you or did he give you any guidance? Um, well, I, I just think um, there was a certain comfort in his having been there. So I had already met a lot of the actors. So I didn't come in a total stranger. But um, truthfully, we weren't in that many scenes together. I was mostly in the scenes where I'm going to lunch with the girls or, you know, going to some church thing or, you know, movie night with the girls. So I, I kind of I was in a few scenes with him and there was one episode where we did a lot together. But but mostly it was not not so much husband and wife thing, even though we, we played that. But it was fun. It was it was you know interesting to try to have to relate to him in, in, in a whole different way. When did you first meet Stephen? I met him in 1975 at the Bottom Line Club when um, when Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band did their shows that kind of put him on the map. They did, I think, 15 shows or 10 shows in a row. And, and people were talking about this guy, Bruce Springsteen. And I'm like, who the hell is that? And my friend said to me, you got to come to this show. I'm like, no, no, I'm not interested. You know, as with everything that that turned out to be something big in my life, it's always like, no, I'm not interested. Oh, I'm not going to get that. And, and so I went to the show and, and, and that's where we met and uh, didn't start going out till a couple of years later, but, but all the way back then. Yeah. And you've been together how many years? Oh, God, uh, since, well, 77. So I'm very poor at math, but married since 82, but together since 77. Yeah. Wow, 47 years. Congratulations. Congratulations. That Crazy. is great. You don't look a day over 95, right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Maureen. We'll be, we have a lot more to talk about, but we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Fantastic. We'll be, we'll be right back with Maureen Dan Zandt. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live, reminding you that it is your support that keeps us going. You can make a donation through this podcast, you can use our Venmo at RJD Pro, or you can visit us at AmberLive.tv and look for the Support Amber Live button. And now, back to this incredible interview. All right, we've got more to talk to Maureen Van Zandt about post-Sopranos. So, come back in, Maureen! Right. <laughs> Welcome back. Okay, so how many years were you on The Sopranos? I was on from the second season through the last, which it was, they called it six season, but it was sort of really seven because they split it up. So I was on the whole way through from, from season two. Now, what did you think about the prequel movie that was out recently? Oh, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And uh, David Chase, the creator of Sopranos, who, of course, wrote it, is one of my dearest friends. And uh, so I knew all about it from the inception. And so it was always exciting. You know, I saw different versions of it before the end version came out. And I just thought it, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I think, you know, the cast was wonderful. And it was um, it, it was interesting to, you know, to see what happened before. And um, I, I just really, really enjoyed it. Were you disappointed your character wasn't uh, featured or mentioned? Well, I don't know how strictly they, they kept to the backstory of my character, but my my character was supposed to have met Silvio when she was older, uh, when they were both older. She was supposedly a, an ex-showgirl. So I would not have been there at that time. Although, you know, I did say I will play my younger self if if you want me in it. <laughs> you don't need to hire anybody else. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So it's been many years. What did you do in between the uh, the time the Sopranos uh, closed down and the pandemic? Well, I I had I had mentioned that I had gone back to studying acting, and I you know I met a, a few actors um, in class, and we decided to start a theater company together. So we started a company and did a ton of really great plays and continued that over, over the years. And uh, Vincent Pastor, who played Big Pussy on The Sopranos, he was in one of the plays that we did. And we became very good friends. And then we started another company called Renegade Theater, NYC. And so we've been we've been doing that. And um, we've taught an acting class together um, under the auspices of HB Studios, where I studied years ago and where he has studied years ago. And um, so been doing that with him. And, and now I'm doing my own acting class with uh, another actor, Sammy Semenza. And um, I'm working with Vinny on, on a play. We did A Streetcar Named Desire last year, all on, on Zoom. So we were talking about before pandemic. So yeah, before yeah. pandemic, I did mostly the theater company stuff. And then I also taught uh, acting to ballet dancers at American Ballet Theater, which was a, a blast, you know, not That's for that. fascinating. That's Maybe. fascinating because one doesn't think that the ballet dancers need to act, but they need to present themselves. And we're telling stories when, when we dance. If you're you're dancing in Romeo and Juliet or you're dancing in Swan Lake, you know, you are that swan and she's in a situation. She meets the prince. The prince has to save her from this evil monster. So you, you are acting. Uh, you're just not using your voice. And that is what's interesting about teaching ballet dancers because they, they kind of don't and I didn't at first either. They don't know how to use their voices. They just know how to use their bodies. So it, it's kind of very scary for them to to start that acting process. But once they got into it, I think they I think they got it and they enjoyed it. And um, I, I really look forward to going back and doing it again. But that's something that really has to be done in person. And um, I don't know if everybody is 100% ready for that. You know, it's uh, things are okay and then they get bad again. So just... Uh, what, what type of what, what what type of plays did you produce uh, with the the Renegade Theater? Oh God! Um, with my first theater company, we did um, Simpatico by Sam Shepard. We did Burn This by L Lanford Wilson. We did some Tennessee Williams. Uh, we we did a number of, of original plays, and then with, with Renegade Theater, we've done oh my God, uh, something called Forty CPS, which is about Michael Bennett. And his uh, about the time, the period of time when Chorus Line was being turned into a movie, and all of the problems he was having with the uh, the produ the movie producers because he wanted it his way, of course, and they wanted it their way. Uh, we did. It was a uh, terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a terrible movie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we we've got we've done so many plays. We um we've done something called Marlon Brando sat right here, which is about um. A, a waitress in the in the fifties who works at a diner. Marlon Brando, when uh, on the waterfront was being filmed, and Marlon Brando would come in the diner. So, mm -hmm. so that play is kind of based around that. Um, yeah, we we've done a, a ton of of really really great stuff, and uh, and then of course moved on to doing it on Zoom after all the yeah March March twenty twenty started uh, the pandemic, and we had to shift gears. So, how did you shift gears? Yeah, it was at, at the time that it happened, our theater company was rehearsing a play called Lovers and Other Strangers, which we had done before. Oh, wow. Fantastic play. And we, we got a whole new cast together and we were very excited about doing it. We were rehearsing. We rehearsed one night. The next day, everything shuts down. Broadway, everything gone. 
So we thought, well, should we just drop this? And maybe in a few months, everything will come back like everyone thought. And we thought, no, and we saw it wasn't coming back right away. So we thought, let's try this Zoom thing. So we were kind of one of the first groups to put up a play on Zoom. And it was a mess because Zoom was really a disaster. Am I on? Can you hear me? Exactly. You know, and people's arms disappearing and heads disappearing and cats. <laughs> so it was it was a challenge, but but we did it and and we learned how to to keep doing it because that was all we had. That's you know? all that's all we had. And that's how this show started as yeah. well. Now exactly. one of the projects you've been working on is around the sun. Yes. Uh, with our, our good friend, Brad Forenza. So let's uh, bring Brad in and let's talk about that. Fantastic. Hi, Brad. Hi, Brad. Good to see <laughs> you, Amber. Great to see you, Maureen. Yes, Hi, Brad. Brad. Uh, for those who didn't know, Brad was on the show back on January 2nd, I believe it was, and we talked about this show uh, around the sun. And uh, Maureen, um, well, first of all, Brad, just for those who didn't see that, just give us a, a brief a synopsis of what your show is about. Sure, sure, sure. I have to uh, kind of massage out my smile lines because Maureen and her history has me smiling quite wide, <laughs> hair especially. But Around the Sun is a project that Maureen and Vincent Pastor and other wonderful people were gracious enough to help me with and act in. It is a scripted episodic podcast. So it's not a traditional interview oriented podcast. There's a script that I wrote. Every episode is self-contained and every episode features two co-stars. Maureen and Joanna Bonaro appear in one of the episodes called Wall Street. I'll let Maureen share more about that. And I have the great privilege of acting opposite Mr. Pastor in another episode called The Museum. Very cool. Very cool. So Maureen, tell us about the episode that you're in, Wall Street. Well, I, I, I guess I can't really give it away, Brad, right? But it's just a, it's a very unusual episode of two, two women who know each other. And one of them, my character, asks a very strange favor from the other woman in payback for something that she's given me. Is that? Yeah. I think that because without giving away the whole thing, unless you want to elaborate on it, Brad, I don't want to say the wrong thing and, and get fired. Oh, but I'm so honored that you would say anything about it, starting with, yes, I'll do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maureen plays a bit of a Don, for lack of a better word, but um, a Don of a different color. So she, she believes that her neighbor owes her a favor. And to that end, hilarity ensues, because what the ask is, is maybe a bit less typical for a typical Don. But Maureen is not a typical Don. <laughs> Who wrote that episode? I did. I wrote all of the episodes. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> That's was, wonderful writer and, and actor. Thank you. Thank you. I'm also one of Maureen's students and lucky for that. And um, this is my pandemic project. <laughs> I'm curious. I was wondering how you two met. So you were attending acting classes from Maureen? Yes. And Vin. And they've both been so supportive of 
my acting for sure, but also these independently produced projects that I've done outside of the class realm and just supportive of me. And it's not lip service. I, I wouldn't be able to do a project like Around the Sun without Maureen and her talents and generosity and Vin and his talents and generosity and Joanna and others. Maureen, how, how did that um, episode come about? Um, I mean, how was it technically put together? Were you in one room and the other actress in another room? Were you yeah, on we, Zoom? We did it on Zoom. And, and, and the other actress is a wonderful actress named Joanna Bonaro, who's in our theater company, uh, who I've worked with many times. So when Brad asked me to do it, I, of course, said yes. And then he said, well, you're doing with Joanna. And I, I said, icing on the cake, even better. And so we knew each other very well. And, and I, I think that it, it made it a lot easier for us to work together. It wasn't like I had to you know, get on Zoom with someone I'd never met, never talked to. I, I, we kind of knew each other's rhythms and how we act and how we respond. So it was, it was just nothing but fun. We were on Zoom and Brad was there and we just kind of just did it and had fun with it. And Fortunately, uh, my mic was muted because to hear Ms. Van Zandt imitate a exotic bird, a cockatiel as it were, <laughs> totally smile and laugh worthy. <laughs> yes, it was, yes, it was. How long did it take to put that episode together? Uh, well, we recorded on a single day, and then uh, it's really the post-production that takes a while for me. Um, this project, like I said, has been my pandemic project. So all told, each episode probably took about uh, two months from start to finish. But recording itself, um, speaking as a producer... Recording itself is a single day, but I know that Maureen and Joanna worked outside of that single day. So everybody's timeline's a little different. That is very cool. That is very cool. Well, thank you very much, Brad. We have more to talk to you about in our other segment that you're, you're featured in. And we'll I'm going to keep smiling. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Maureen. Thank you, Brad. All right, Marie, we're going to take another break. We'll be right back to find out what you're doing today and what's in the future. Thank Perfect. you so much. All right. Thanks for listening to this interview. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live, reminding you that we stream live on YouTube every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Check out the hundreds of past interviews and all the comedy sketches from our past shows. And remember to subscribe to us on YouTube so you don't miss a single new episode of Amazing Guests and Comedy. You can find us at youtube.com slash amberlive. What a great interview so far. We have one more segment finding out what's in the future for Maureen Van Zant. Maureen, come back in. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, All right. fun. So you've done the podcast Around the Sun. You've done some acting lessons on Zoom. Uh, what are you? What are your current projects, and what's in the future for you? Okay, well, right now I think um, Zoom has become my life. Um, I teach a weekly acting class through our theater company, which is called Renegade Theater NYC. Um, you can check our, our website. Anyone interested in you know signing up for the classes or finding out about it? Um, I am currently working on a play on Zoom called A View from the Bridge by Arthur Miller. Yeah. Beautiful play, and, and Vincent Pastor is directing it. Um, so we just started working on that a few weeks ago. We did a full production of Streetcar Named Desire 
several months ago on Zoom, which was quite a challenge, but we had the actor who played Stanley Kowalski, Sammy Semenza, who also teaches the acting class with me. He's also an incredible editor and technical person. And he made this thing look almost like a movie on Zoom. So great job on that. So we, we did that. We- now, um, Are those available for anyone to see? Um, I, I believe so, but I can't, it might be on our YouTube channel. Uh, Renegade Theater NYC. We also have a couple of really cool holiday video things. We did a rock and roll version of A Christmas Carol. So that's up there and it's it's great. It's it's really fun. Again, a lot of Zoom glitches, but but it's there. And uh, working on View from the Bridge now, working on the acting class. I also do a podcast, uh, which is called Generation Gap. And I, I co-host with a comedian named Josh Accardo. We've taken a little hiatus, but we're going to get back to that in January. So that's always a lot of fun. It's just sort of a pop culture um, broadcast and uh, hope to get back doing real plays and things. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Now, Broadway is back, but, you know, it's just very hard for smaller theater companies. And a lot of people don't want to be in small spaces unless they're really perfectly managed and monitored and, and it's, it's you know the Broadway houses can probably do that a lot better so so that's for that's it for now really you know I work on some dance things some choreography pieces and coach some dancers sometimes that on zoom is not the easiest thing to do so you know just kind of plugging along here and trying to uh, look forward to a future when we can have more freedom to to do real stage shows now, um, you're an art advocate, I believe. You have, you're an activist for, for the arts. Can you tell me more about that? Um, well, I, I always have been. I've been um, involved in a couple of organizations that actually involve children in the arts. One of them is called Rocket Academy, which uh, it, it's, um, it's an academy in New Jersey that, that teaches um, kids how to play instruments and sing and mostly rock music. The guy who runs it was a rock musician. And we've done uh, a lot of fun things. We did uh, Tommy, the musical, and I, I, I was in that. I played Mrs. Walker, horribly singing it, but but it was fun. Nobody nobody noticed because <laughs> the kids were so good. Um, yeah, we've done a lot of projects. They do a lot of concerts, and I, I, I mentor the kids with that and, and help, you know, do fundraising for them and get people to, you know, to pay attention to what they do because it's really important. And there's another group called Little Kids Rock that provides musical instruments and instruction to underprivileged kids. So they go to a lot of schools where kids really can't afford to have instruments and the schools have pretty much taken the arts out, period. That, so, is, that is such a shame. It's, How it's, much, you know, I, I remember as a young kid, music class, Mrs. Barnett would push her music cart into our room twice a week. <laughs> and I, you learn how to count, you learn fractions, you learn all kinds of things through music. Yeah. And, and they just cut it, you know. And it, oh. you really stimulate your mind in such an amazing way. Uh, you know, music is very mathematical, as you just said, and yes. dancing is, is kind of mathematical in, in, in its own way. And it really is just, it's something that, you know, everybody loves. I mean, we all still love the, we watch TV, we go to the movies, we go to shows. So why what are they saved, out of school? What saved us during the pandemic? It was the arts. Exactly. We were stuck it on our couch, flicking through all these shows of actors and singers and producers and exactly. scenic designers and costume designers. Yeah, I mean, we weren't sitting around adding up, um, you know, numbers, you know, we were <laughs> watching art, 
and 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 people did a lot of great stuff to her, and it, it did save a lot of people. Yes, you it know, did. We're stuck in our houses, and we couldn't do anything else. So I think to not have that, you know, in life is just really it's just tragic, and and it's something that that we need. I mean, it, it makes things more beautiful, it, or it shows the ugliness of life in in, in a way that we might not have thought it to be. So it's really, really important. And it really, you know, cause like you said, when I was a kid, we did have arts in the school and, and I see it's, it's just gone. So I love that these programs really try to help bring that back. I love and, it when they talk about how it develops critical thinking as well, because exactly. you, you see these characters and you go, well, why are they thinking that way? Oh, that's an interesting way to think. Or why did they say that? And it gets you thinking in a ways that you wouldn't think. Yeah. Um, Exactly. My, my husband has a foundation called Teach Rock, and they developed a curriculum for schools of music history. And so it teaches about the music, but also they get a history lesson because let's say they're uh, talking about Sam Cooke, uh, music from the 60s. Then they go back to civil rights movement and, you know, all the things that were happening at that time. And, and they could do it with any era. And they say to the kids, like, what are you listening to now? Oh, I'm listening to Beyonce. And then they sort of trace back, well, Beyonce was influenced by this person and this person. And, and, and so they teach you that, that everything has a history and that there is a tradition and that gets passed forward, which is important with the arts. You know, and I was a ballet dancer. That's the only way we ever learned it. It has to be passed forward from the generation before us. So it's the same with, with all the arts, I think. So it's, it's, you know, anybody that helps to keep that alive is really a, it's a hero to me, you know? We're starting 2022. We've had a rough past two years. Oh, what, yeah. is your, what is your dream? What, what would you wish for everyone uh, in the future? I, I just wish that everyone will have freedom because I think we've been so restricted uh, I, I would love for us to just get out there and and have fun and not have to worry about who's sneezing, who's coughing. Do I have to wear it? You know, I, I just want people to to feel that you can walk down the street and not have this heavy cloud hanging over your head. And, and that, you know, and that it will also bring, uh, you know, gratitude and appreciation for what we, we didn't have. And, you know, that maybe that is wishful thinking, but that's that's what I would hope for. Well, that's a great thought, and I'm with you on that. Thank you so much, Marie Van Zandt. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you and to share ideas with you, and I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so much fun talking to you, and I wish you wonderful holidays and the happiest 2022 for, for you and for everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for listening to this episode of the Ember Live Interviews. Remember to subscribe to us so you don't miss a single episode. And remember that it is your support that keeps us going. You can make a donation through this podcast. You can use our Venmo at RJD Pro, or you can visit us at AmberLive.tv and look for the Support Amber Live button. Live from the House of LeMay Makeup and Dressing Room. Here comes Amber, stop what you're doing, here comes Amber, she's just doing what she can, here comes Amber, cue the spotlight, here comes Amber, with two drinks in her hand, the
matriarch of fashion Secret sewer glasses, you can't look away Ask her does she do it, really nothing to it She's got that fan on If you have a party, or if you're feeling naughty Call up the house of the maid Here comes your favorite gal